Open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 15 to 23. And on your bulletin sheet, you can see the passage there and the sermon title. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23 is our passage for consideration this morning. It's a prayer of the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And this church is only a new church. It's been planted. There are new Christians there. And this is his prayer for them. So hear God's word. Paul writes, For this reason, relating to all the theological truth that he has just mentioned, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So read God's word. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, may you be with us this morning as we come under the sound of your word. May you speak to us, we pray, so that we may have a better and deeper and more loving relationship with you. May you see our responsibilities to each other as a fellowship. And may you be glorified through the preaching of your word. Help me, I pray, for I need it. For I am a weak and sinful man, as your servant. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Knowing God better. Knowing God better. William Randolph Hearst was an American newspaper publisher and businessman in the early 1900s. He developed a taste for art treasures, which led him to spend a fortune collecting all these treasures from all around the world. One day, William read a description of some of, his, of, some of the most valuable items, and he thought, you know what, I need to own these. So he sent his agent abroad to search out these valuable art treasures and then to purchase them 
and then to bring him back to his collection. Months passed and his agents returned with the report that he found those treasures. They were in William Hurst's warehouse. He had spent months frantically searching for the treasures that he already owned. If only he had opened up his catalogue of treasures, he would have saved him a great deal of money and trouble. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can be like William Hurst because we don't read and understand God's catalogue, the Bible. To discover the vast spiritual wealth we have in the risen Lord Jesus Christ through our Heavenly Father. The young Christians in Ephesus have discovered that they were born rich when they trusted Christ. That wasn't enough. They needed to grow in their understanding of the riches that they already possess in Christ if they were going to use it for his glory. The Apostle Paul's desire was that the Ephesian Christians were to mature in their understanding of the great wealth which they had in Christ. So Paul records for them his prayer. Paul prays that through God's power that they would see, understand and live the reality of who they are. Brothers and sisters, Paul's prayer is also for us. We should be praying this prayer for each other. Can Grace Baptist Church Bexley Heath be a church like the church in Ephesus? Can you become a church that God wants you to be? The answer is yes. How can you do this? A.W. Tozer, an American pastor in the 1900s said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. If Tozer was right, then Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones was also right when he said, Our supreme need is to know God. He meant, of course, to know God well, to know him deeply, to know him truly, as he is revealed in his holy word. And this is how we, you, can become the church that God desires. This was Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. And he prays that they would know God better by experiencing God deeper. Know God's calling. Know God's riches. And know God's power. And those are our four points this morning. So our first points... First point is from verses 15 to 18a. Paul prays that they would know God better by experiencing God deeper. Experiencing God 
deeper, verses 15 to 18a. Despite the failings, frustrations and shortcomings of church life, the Ephesian church was displaying two key attributes that Christ-like Christians possess. Look at verse 15. Faith and love. This caused Paul joy and to pray with thankfulness. They had faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ and love towards all the saints. Their faith in Jesus separates them from the surrounding idolatrous culture of paganism and multiple gods. Their love for all the saints unites them to each other in the midst of that culture. Their faith in Jesus allows them to know, believe and trust. Know that the gospel message is true. Believe that gospel message and then deepen upon what they believe and know. Their reliance is firmly placed into the hands of Jesus whom the glorious gospel is all about. Do you have that saving faith, my precious friend? Not only did the young Ephesian Christians have faith in the Lord Jesus, they had love toward all the saints. The Greek word for love here is agape. It means to love someone with a sacrificial heart. To seek the good no matter what the personal cost. It's a sacrificial word. I am told that it is usually used to describe Christ's love for his children. For us, brothers and sisters, that this was the love that the Ephesian Christians possessed and they showed it to all the saints. In our translation, the ESV, the word saints appears 60 times in the New Testament. It is never used in a singular, saint, but always in the plural, saints. It means all of God's people who have been set apart by God for himself. Chosen before the foundation of the world as we see earlier in Ephesians chapter 1. They love all the saints without discrimination or resentment. The Ephesian Christians love the elderly saints, the newly converted, the men and the women, the boys and the girls, the rich and the poor, all different kinds of skin colours. They loved sacrificially all of God's people. Do you love all who are in the family of God? The Ephesian Christians are young in their faith. Paul sees their love and faith, and though it is not fully developed, he can still give thanks for them to God in his prayers, as he says in verse 16. Paul would have known that some of those whom he was writing to, and he would have not known some at all. Some he personally led to Christ when he planted the church, 
and the others were converted after he had planted the church. As we read about in Acts 19. Saints, do we pray like this for each other? Do you give thanks to God for all the members of this church? Paul is setting a wonderful example to us of how we should offer spiritual support to each other. Do you pray for each other by name? Do you thank God for the spiritual fruit that you see in each other? Paul is praying for a newly planted church and those members of the church are young in their faith. Paul sees buds of fruit in some of these Christians and fruit which is yet right which is yet to ripen in others but he gives thanks to God for them. He knows that there is still much growth to happen that is needed in these young Christian lives but he gives thanks to God for them. Are you you a member of a local church? Are you a member of this church or do you just attend? If you are not, you are missing out upon many spiritual blessings that you don't have if you just attend a church. I would challenge you this morning to speak to your elders and to talk about church membership so that you will not miss out on the many blessings that are involved in being a church member and serving God. But also pray with thankfulness for each other and tell others that you are praying for them. When was the last time, brothers and sisters, you went to someone who was present here this morning and said, you know, I've been praying for you last week. How can I pray for you this week? The challenge is for all of us here this morning, including me. You see, brothers and sisters, there is no skill involved in seeing in people what is wrong with them and then go on to tell them and to criticise them. But if you desire to be a church that has genuine spiritual support for each other, the loved ones seek to develop the skill of encouragement and commendation, especially to young Christians. Seeing people as Christ sees them, robed in his righteousness and washed in his blood. And to encourage them on this basis to be more of what they should be is a more of a powerful way to communicate the heart of Jesus. Godly Christian leaders need to develop the ability to see the good budding in people and then water its growth with commendation, all the while knowing that more growth is needed. Pray for your elders, Chola and Ola. Pray that they will be leaders 
that will encourage and commend God's people. Pray that they will strike the balance between commendation and correction. For we need both in our lives. Telling each other that I am thankful for you is a powerful spiritual work. And saints, don't stop doing it like Paul says in verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. This is our challenge for us this morning. Be brothers and sisters in this church who seeks to encourage and commend each other rather than criticise or scold one another. May you never become a church that remembers and sees each other's failings. In verse 17, Paul reveals the rest of his prayer for the saints in Ephesus. I keep on asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Loved ones, it is possible to know God. To know him in a personal way. Atheism proclaims that there is no God to know. While agnosticism says there may be God, but we can't know him personally. Paul says that this is wrong. He met God through the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And the Ephesian Christians can deepen their knowledge of God the Father. His prayer was that they would come to know, understand, comprehend, grasp and see God better. Paul knew that our understanding of certain truths and facts about God need to deepen. He does expand on what some of these truths and facts are in verses 18 to 23, which we'll come to in a moment. But let's just think for a moment about an amazing truth. Scientists had thought that blue whales were mute. But only recently had they discovered that they had voices of immense power. Our human ear can only pick up on certain levels of sound frequency. And as we get older, we know that this doesn't quite work all the time. But blue whales speak at the threshold beyond human hearing, or below human hearing, actually, not beyond, but below. It wasn't until modern sound technology was, di- was used to discover that blue whales had, pa- had a powerful voice that we can hear up to thousands of miles away. So a blue whale call can be heard in a harbour in Liverpool and then it can be transmitted and heard by a, a harbour in, in, in New York. That's how far blue whales 
can hear one another from a harbour in Liverpool all the way to a harbour in New York. Thousands of miles apart, but blue whales can hear one another. See, this power, this amazing power, has been present throughout the ages, but undetected until recent times because our senses are too limited to register it. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we can be given knowledge, wisdom and revelation to see the spiritual reality that is not apparent to ordinary sight. We can know God better through the reading of his word. We can have all we need to know about God written in the Bible. The revelation of God himself. Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians to know God, to make himself known to his people. Paul prays that their hearts will be made to see the spiritual reality of knowing God. He prays that their eyes of their heart may be enlightened to see the wonderful world of provision that heaven has made available for their care. Brothers and sisters, We need to pray for this prayer for each other. Pray for God to make himself known to his people in this church. We mustn't rely upon our own wisdom and knowledge, but pray that God will give his wisdom and reveal himself to us through his word, his people. Paul prays that the Ephesians would know God better by experiencing God deeper. And now he prays that they would know God's calling, which is our second point this morning. Know God's calling. And we'll pick up the pace as we go through this from verse 18b. Know God's calling. Paul prays for the church in Ephesus that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. I want us to examine two words, calling and hope. First of all, calling. All Christians have experienced the calling of God at some point in their life. It is not what Christians sometimes refer to as the general call of the gospel that goes out to all people. But this is the effectual call that always accomplishes God's purpose of saving his chosen people. Some Christians experience this personal call of salvation on a particular occasion or over a period of time. At some point, everyone who is a Christian has been called by God. Sometimes you will hear Christians share their testimony of how they became a Christian And that they will say that their preacher was talking to them. They were in a room of maybe a room similar to this. Crowded with people. Maybe even hundreds. Maybe even thousands. But they were in that room and they heard God's call. As though God was only speaking to them. Others will say that they read their Bible. And it was though that the passage was addressing them. And that that passage knew all about their sins. 
Others come to God over a realisation of, over a period of time. And that they see that God has been working in their life. And in their life, God has gently been calling them over this period of time and drawing themselves to him. The practical application of this is that your salvation does not rest on your, on your choosing Christ, but rather on his choosing you. Paul says elsewhere that God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. Knowing this truth about God's calling upon you will fill you with thanksgiving, joy and hope. It is hope that Paul links here with God's effectual call. The hope that is ours is because of God's calling. God's call is not hopeless, but with full assurance we have in Christ of a glorious future. When we read of hope in the Bible, it's not like the term that a child would use maybe at their birthday when they say, I hope to get a new Lego set, or I hope to get the latest trainers, or I hope to get the latest bike, or cuddly toy, or doll, or phone, or computer. It's not the hope that you fondly long for, but will possibly unlikely get. Biblical hope is assurance for the future. Christians know that God will fulfill all his promises to us. We will be with him forever in heaven, where there will be no more suffering or tears or death. We will be perfect in righteousness and in love for God and for one another. We will live in a perfect environment where they'll be not spoiled by sin. Even more, we will be in the presence of the one who has loved us, redeemed us with his blood. This encourages us day by day. It should motivate us, brothers and sisters, to live like Christ each day. For we shall see him and be one day like him very soon. Paul prays that the Ephesians would know God better by experiencing God deeper, know God's calling and know thirdly God's riches in verse 18c. God's riches. Paul prays for the church in Ephesus that they may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 18c. Now, there is a split about what this verse means amongst the Bible commentators. Does his glorious inheritance in the saints mean that the inheritance God provides to his people, or whether we are being counted as his inheritance. 
So does it mean that the inheritance God provides is to his people? Or whether we are his people are being counted as his inheritance? What do you think? I believe it is the second meaning in this passage. That God actually considers us Christians as his inheritance. What an amazing truth. God looks at us as part of his great wealth. Warren Wiersbe comments on this verse. Just as a man's wealth brings glory to his name, so God will get glory from the church because of what God has invested in us. When Jesus Christ returns, we shall be to the praise of his glorious grace. Ephesians 1 verse 6. We must live as citizens of heaven who belong to God. We must live as saints, God's holy ones, separate from this evil world. Warren Worsby also writes as an illustration. When she was young, Victoria was shielded from the fact that she would be the next ruling monarch of England, lest this knowledge spoil her. When her teacher finally did let her discover for herself that she would one day be Queen of England, Victoria's response was, then I will be good. Her life will be controlled by her position. No matter where she was, Victoria was governed by the fact that she sat on the throne of England. Even so, we will reign with Christ, knowing that we should live as his special people. We should be Christians who live in the future tense, our lives controlled by what we shall be when Christ returns, because we are God's inheritance. We live to please and glorify him. Paul prays that the Ephesians would know God better by experiencing God deeper, know God's calling, know God's riches, and know, finally, in verses 19 to 23, God's power. That we would know God's power. The Apostle Paul wants to clearly explain a wonderful truth to the Ephesian Christians. There is a great power present in them right now. In verse 19, he drives this home by explaining to them, by using four different words in the Greek to describe the power that is present. In verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened that you may know, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Four words in Greek that refer to power. In verse 19, the Greek word 
in verse 19a for power is where we get our English word dynamite. So, as Christians, we do have a stick of dynamite. The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. That power is present in them now. Paul also talks about this power in chapter 3, verse 20. And it is clearer in the New King James James Version. I'm just going to read this in a moment. Excuse me. Look at chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is in us to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen I've just read from the New King James translation did you hear the superlatives that Paul uses in that verse now to him who is able to do Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Paul wants us to know the power that is present in us, working in you right now. He wants you to know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. This power is not a mystical power. Or a second blessing. But the power that is available for all Christians. You and me. Paul is causing the Ephesians to reject the pagan notions of cultic and magical power. That were practiced and taught at the time. And through his words to us today. He is also calling us to reject what is outside and evil in the world. And to know that we have an incomparable great power. What is that power? It is resurrection power. Verse 19b. According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Power. That overcomes sin and death. Resurrection power. But it is also sovereign power in verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age but in also in the age to come. And he puts all things under his feet. Paul mentions virtually every dimension of authority and strength that we would recognise in this world and in the one to come. He simply says, Jesus is greater than them all and he is the head of everything. As the head of all things, 
the power that is at work on behalf of us is church power in verse 22b. We've seen resurrection power, sovereign power, but now church power. Look at verse 22b. God gave him, or appointed, as head over all things to the church. Whose benefit does he rule the universe? He does it for the church. His reign is the benefit of, for believers, his children, you and me. He is the head of the church and we are the body. We are linked to Christ in an inexplicable link. Only until every person the Father has given to Jesus to be joined to him in living faith will he be complete. That is what verse 23 means. Paul wants them to know that the resurrection power, the sovereign power and the church power is the same power that is in you. Brothers and sisters, that is what we should be praying for in each other. Brothers and sisters, Christ is represented and expressed to the world by his church. Much could be said on this topic, precious loved ones, but I want us to grasp that the church of Jesus Christ is the instrument by which God uses to change the world for the good of the church and for his glory. The world will ultimately and eternally yield to the influence of the church because Jesus Christ is the head and we, the church, are the body and he is head over all, over all. There is no more powerful in an organisation of hope in the world than a local body of believers loving one another, helping and forgiving one another, praying for the work in Christ in their midst, supporting each other in joy and in sorrow, equipping the disciples, showing mercy to outsiders and praising the God who enables it all. God is calling you, Grace Baptist Church, Bexley Heath, to be the church that he desires and to be part of the ongoing mission to take the church into the world with power and boldness. It will be hard. There will be many challenges and it will be painful. We are starting to see this in our own country now. But the Bible promises that our efforts will not be in vain. No matter how small you think you are as a church in a metropolis, no matter the opposition we will face, the weaknesses we feel compared to others' strength, we must remember that we as a church are engaged in the work of the church. We are members of the agency that God has determined to employ his power for the transformation 
of this world. Our Lord has called us to good and to a great work. Despite our failings, our frustrations and the shortcomings, you can become the church that God wants you to become. By praying that you will experience God deeper. Know God's calling, God's riches and God's power. Amen. Amen.